Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher, Fletcher Safety Consulting. Welcome back to What's the Hazard? It has been um, two weeks since our last episode, so I apologize for that. It is Friday, March 26th, which means it is uh, the last Friday of the month, which means it's Leadership Day, and so Aaron Cerrone's with me here in the studio. We're back at it. Coach, good to see you again, man. Good. Actually, we saw each other yesterday. We did, that's true. (laughs) But uh, it's good to have you back, and I apologize. We've been gone for two weeks uh, and we've been trying to put an episode out every Friday, and so I apologize for that. Aaron and I actually talked about that, I think, on those Fridays where I actually have to work and earn some money, which is what's <laughs> been happening the last few weeks. Um, he's going to fill in, so I, I think that'll work great, man, and I appreciate your willingness to help with that. But I do want to keep consistent. I do want to put an episode out every sure. week. I know the, the, you know the listeners are... You kind of get into a routine, and if and once you break the routine, you're on to some other shitty safety podcast. And I, frankly, I don't want that to happen, you know. That's so, fair. so, so I think that'll work out great, man. And you, you have can, to leave a pretty strict script because oh no, no, <laughs> it may go off the rails if I'm here by myself. Oh, as you, there, there is obviously no script to any of this. So, uh, but it's interesting because um, I do try to earn my living Sunday through Thursday, and. Uh, on Fridays, we try to do the podcast every Friday, right. and we try to, you know, I try to, we do some other networking stuff. You and I are involved in right. some other networking some groups and gigs. do a little bit of pro bono work here and there where I can on Fridays. But every now and then, man, um, the pressure that I get from my wife and kids to live indoors is just incredible. <laughs> and so I do have to work on Fridays. And occasionally there are just things that come up with clients that just can't be avoided. So anyway, uh, my apologies for having missed the last couple of weeks. Um, I am excited to announce uh, we have added another true believer to the group, um, uh, a good friend of ours, uh, a friend of yours and mine yeah, both, uh, a new sponsor, John Fallowich of Fallowich Construction Services, uh, has has uh, joined us. He's part of the our dis- little dysfunctional family we've got true here. True statement, yep. Um, but, um, yeah, John and Fallowich Construction Services have agreed to help sponsor the, the program and and we are we are very sincerely appreciative of that yeah. man. So he's going to actually join us for uh, uh, an episode in a couple of weeks, sure. and, it, and it's an interesting story. Oh, absolutely! And I think actually, Fallowich Construction Service is actually underneath Fallowich Companies now. John right. has grown that place. Yeah, he's so the, big, doing some really he's really, doing really some great, great stuff, things. man. Yeah, and it's amazing. really interesting story. And I know he, you know he, John is a student of yours. I'm a student of yours, sure. and so we interact together over at Mid American Martial Arts. Sure. I actually met John. With OSHA for the first time, uh, Fallowich Construction. So it was, it was an unpleasant encounter the first well, time? Well, <laughs> actually, you know, normally you would suspect that to be true. Um, the first time I met him, though, they, you know, he is a true believer. And as I say, you know, the working safely thing is important to John. You can tell that. I mean, he likes to put on kind of that rough exterior. But I think he truly no, cares absolutely. about his guys absolutely. and 100%. understands the importance of working safely. Uh, Fallowich Construction submitted an application for OSHA's VPP program, which is the Voluntary Protection Program. It's kind of an, uh, an acknowledgement of having an outstanding safety program and doing the right things. And so they put in an application and were accepted into the program. And that was one of the things that I did when I was with OSHA was kind of facilitate that here in Nebraska. So we got to go to the award ceremony when they were acknowledged and, and, and um, sure. Accepted into the program, and yeah. that was real. I mean, for a specialty contractor, small business like that, that was a huge step. So I think I think it's huge. Anytime you can, it's like uh, in the uh, operations world, there's ISO certifications, ISO nine thousand, exactly. And, and you know, that's just a way of telling the world, hey, we're going above and beyond, and, and you know, we got our shit together, and, right. and, and you can hire us with confidence. That's that, exactly that we're right. We're going to do things the right way, and and we're going to do things safely, and you don't have to worry about us being on the job site mm-hmm. um, because we've got it wired and everything nailed down, which I think is huge. Anytime you can, you know, it's just like anytime you see trucks with you know handyman bonded and insured on the side of their truck, right? It's just a way of saying, look, you yes. can trust me, you know. Yes. And uh, and I think that's huge. That and again, being proactive, vice reactive is always mm-hmm. key to doing things the right way. I think that is really interesting. And every time we, we sit down and talk, you say something that really triggers something for me. But I think that for many years, when I first started doing safety, it seemed like an additional cost. It was an add-on. Mm-hmm. Uh, people didn't necessarily want to do it because they didn't see the value in it. They didn't see an immediate return. It wasn't very uh, objectively 
um, identifiable as a return on their investment. And so they just didn't do it. Right. And so there was no competitive advantage. In fact, it was a disadvantage to the people that did. Because it was a cost. It was a they cost. It as a cost. Yep. But, but now I think there is a, a competitive advantage to being recognized as a safe company. Uh, like for, take, for example, some of these jobs we've got going on here in Omaha, the, uh, the Facebook project, the Google project across the river. Massive projects. Massive projects. Right. Those, those owners and Which, those GCs. by the GCs, way, you're not allowed to say Facebook or Google. Yeah, yeah. It's like Site F exactly. or Site Unicorn or <laughs> right, whatever they exactly, call it. Right, man. <laughs> Can we delete out the names of those? No, I'm teasing. But, God forbid anybody but, know that yeah, they're, they're actually building a, a bazillion a, square foot complexes. I know, Who man, owns that, it? And that's been the case for a long time, but it is. But I know those companies, they pre-qualify contractors on those sites uh, very aggressively. And, I mean, if you don't have your safety ducks in a row, you don't get on those sites. And so I think, I think we are reaching that point where there is a competitive advantage to having these programs in place. Sure. The only, the only fear now is, are, are you doing it because you truly have bought into the safety concept? Or are you doing it just so you can have that resume fodder? So you can score those contracts, right? And that, and that tends to happen, it right? It's, it's the benchmarking effect that, you know, a company A goes ahead and gets all these safety things in line and touts to the world, we are accredited that we're working safely. We have, we're in this program, we're in that program, we have this certification, we have this stamp, and they are the benchmark. And everybody goes, well, we need that too, right? And, and some will do it the right way, and get all the programs truly in place, and others will do just enough so they can get the stamp, right? That's and then, exactly and, and then right, it's facade, man. right? It becomes facade. So that's the danger now that uh, you know companies are just doing it from the facade approach. I just on the surface they have all these things in place, but do they really underneath? Yeah, man, that is so true. And that I think we've even talked about this in the past, but there are a number of companies that have entered this market space, this pre-qualification mm-hmm. space, you know, they are that third party that does all that. So they send you all of these templates and forms and things that you have to complete. And, and then they review it and give you a score. And if you get a passing score, then you can be considered for one of these jobs, mm-hmm. but they control all that. And it's just paper. You're just passing them paper. Right. So exactly what you just said, it, they have no, there's no way for them to to actually evaluate the implementation of that stuff. And so I think what you've just described is actually happening often. They want the job. They have to fill out this paperwork. They, they go on the Internet and pull down a bunch of crap and stick their name on it and send it in. Well, I think that's why it's important to have, you know, you don't, there has to be some type of accountability process in there. There has to be some body, whether it's OSHA or some, some organization that goes around and actually checks up. And says, are you, not only did you achieve this certification, but are you maintaining it? Not only have you achieved this level of working safely, but are you maintaining it? Right. And then whether that's a yearly inspection or a bi-yearly inspection, whatever it happens to be, mm-hmm. um, that's the important piece in it. And, and yeah, you know, it's kind of like, well, why do we have to keep going through this? Well, it's important because, mm-hmm. you know, the whole out of sight, out of mind effect does happen. You know, that, yeah, we got it. And then we're on it for the first six months. And then it just slowly yeah, man. Fade, fades it's kind out, of human nature. You know, I mean, and it's then, just kind and of then the, before you know it, yeah, yeah, you got this, you got the stamp on the front of your building, but you're not doing any of it mm-hmm. in reality. Right. Right. So, it, and it's, it's just, like you said, it's human nature. It's, it's yeah. anything like that. It's, yeah. you know, are you keeping up on it? That's why a lot of professional um, industries and endeavors have CEUs, continuing education units, right. for that very reason that you have to keep up. Now, a lot of times that's a money grab, and I understand that. Yeah, uh, you get but, the certification, and then the money comes you know, from you paying a bazillion dollars right. with the CEUs. But the, the, the intent is that, hey, you have to continue to stay educated. You have to continue to stay in it right. rather than just one and done, and then we're going to assume you're still doing it Agreed. at the end of the day. So, you know, I think that that'd be very important that there's some type of accountability process that goes along with it uh, just to mean, make sure companies are, are staying on it and mm-hmm. not just – Checking exactly. the box, you know. Well, that, you know, that was one of the elements of this VPP program that Fallowich was part of. There was a fairly extensive verification. So you submitted this application, all this paperwork, extensive information about your programs and how you implemented them. And then we would send, OSHA would send a team out to crawl through your shit for a week, typically. Just to verify. To verify all that. Go on to the sites, do all of that, you know, review all that sure. paperwork. And, 
And so it was fairly rigorous. And uh, so, uh, you know, so, so John putting his company into that program was really well, yeah. a demonstration Exposing of that commitment. Yourself to the yeah, and, and you are exposed to some degree. And I would hope, and I don't know, you can obviously speak to this better than me, that, you know, OSHA would be like, okay, we're coming back in five years. There to, was make, a, to make sure you're absolutely. still doing it. There was a recurring visit, yeah. recertification. So it was rigorous, and so I commend him for doing that. And so, again, it's, it's interesting. Um, I call these guys true believers because it's obvious that they are committed to this. They understand the value of safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just like our other sponsors, um, Cheyenne Wolford at CCS Group, Custom Concrete Specialists, uh, even Jim Cover down at the Nebraska Department of Labor on-site consultation group. These are guys that, you know, they're helping out with paying for the cost of this podcast. Uh, I don't think with an expectation that they're going to get more business out of this necessarily. No, I mean, John's not going to get any business necessarily from this, nor is Cheyenne or even Cover. And I, I want people to go, you know, u- utilize the on-site consultation group. It's an excellent service. But I don't know if they get anything from this or not. But they believe in what we're doing, and they believe that it's important, and they want to be a part of it. And so, to me... That's even more impressive than the guy who's trying to peddle something. Sure, and and know? I think it's important that you know they're they're interested in making the industry better. Right? Yeah, they're interested in in you know being in an environment where people are doing things the right way, not not just for you know the monetary benefits right. of it. It really and is the greater good kind of a concept. Sure. Yeah, and then it's, unfortunately there aren't enough companies like that. You know, you yeah. hear a lot of companies that are like oh they got these social causes and they donate this and they donate that, but at the end of the day, it's like. Okay, cool, but are, are you making the industry better in, in what you're doing in that way? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you figured out a way to do things better. Are you sharing that wealth? Not, not. I'm not talking competitive advantages. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about like, hey, we all need to be working safer, right? We right. all need to be looking out for our employees. Like, we all need to make sure we're not polluting the environment, right. <laughs> you know, right. as we're building these things, these great things. Absolutely. That's interesting. So anyway, hey, John, uh, I much appreciate it, man. And, and we're doing an episode in a few weeks. I look forward to having you on the show and yeah. telling your story. It's a fascinating story and look forward to seeing you over at the gym. I've actually sometime. had John come talk to my entrepreneur class. Have you? Um, well, he, he would was, actually be a great oh, yeah, person It's for a great that. story. And, you know, the fact that he started that thing basically on the side out of his van, you know, on a personal loan mm-hmm. from a family member and now is mm-hmm. growing it to this multi-million dollar mm-hmm. doing building huge things. Yeah. Uh, has Dude. his own fabrication yeah. warehouse now. It's amazing. It's impressive. It, yeah. it really is impressive. And and like all these guys, I mean, again, they just believe in the mission. They believe sure. in the message. And so thanks to all of them for their support. I appreciate it. We are also working on an opportunity. And again, I don't want to fixate on this money thing, but the reality is, we you know we pay for this podcast, and I'm not I heard that media is not cheap. I don't mean <laughs> dogging these guys. Sasha's looking at me like, oh, that's going to get edited out. <clears throat> but you know, but there is a cost to this, obviously, and it was all out of pocket at first. And so, having people help support it uh, is incredibly generous and much appreciated. But I do know that there are um, folks who have commented that they would like to support um, the effort. You know, they like the content. They particularly like the leadership content, but they like the content. <laughs> and they want to contribute and they want to support. So we are working on putting together a supporters page on the website. Uh, so if you want to contribute five bucks a month or, you know, 100 bucks a year or whatever, if you like the content and you want to just help, um, we want to make that available to you. I first found out of this. It's called like Patreon or you something. You get a t-shirt. You get a t-shirt. Yeah. I'll send you a freaking t- I got a bunch of t-shirts in my basement that need to get moved. So... You contribute, I'll send you a, that's, that's a deal. I'll send you a t-shirt. But <laughs> I was looking at my bank statement one time, which I don't do often, and I saw these little $5 charges going out. And I thought like some guy in Uzbekistan was ripping me off or something, right. you know. And it turns out that my boys were contributing to these podcasts that they listened to. Out of your Out account. of my account, of course. <laughs> you know, classic. So, oh, it's very classic. But I was like, okay. I didn't even knew that, know that was a thing at the time. Sure. But so... Anyway, I've had a few people have mentioned that they would like to help, and so we're, gonna, we're working on that right now, Perfect. man, and that yeah, would be awesome. Cool. And so enough of that talk. Thanks to the guys that are helping us out, and, and we appreciate it. Um, let's, get, let's get to you, man. Um, so normally we talk about leadership things mm-hmm. and working safely and how we can improve as leaders in those environments, but you do a lot more. Um, your expertise extends far beyond just leadership. Sure. I know you and I have talked about things like... Expertise may be a strong word. But oh, right. no, man. No, 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 don't sell yourself short. You, you know this stuff much better than I or and probably most of these listeners. But 
we're talking about things like efficiency and mm-hmm. lean and even concepts like Kaizen events and sure. things like that. And I would love it if you would just kind of define some of those terms in, yeah, and maybe how they are relevant to what we do in this working sure. safely world. Right. So I'm just going to turn it over to you and step yeah, out well, of the I way, mean, man. You know, to give a little background on how this started is, uh, you know, Doug consults to a big company called Berkeley, uh, the yeah. fishing outfitting yeah. company, and, and their safety person reached out and said, hey, we'd like some of this training the leadership training and whatnot, and even even some lean. They had some interest mm-hmm. in lean, and, I, and you know, so we got to talking. Obviously, I'm like, you know, we can easily, you know, people think of lean and Six Sigma purely from a manufacturing perspective and operations perspective, but it's, but it's very very relevant to safety. And and here's why. Like, so everybody's heard of lean, and like, and just the concept of I'm going to lean out, right? If you say something, what does that mean? Like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to cut fat. And like, exactly, right? Mm-hmm. All the stuff that you don't need, you're going to get rid of. Okay, so, you know, lean itself is this idea of I'm just going to eliminate waste, like anything that's wasteful. And when you ask, well, what's wasteful? So when I teach it in class, I think anything doesn't add value, right? And by value, it's usually time, money, and energy, like the big three. How much time, how much time is it taking you? How much money are you investing in energy? How many people are you putting towards this thing? So, you know, and... From a process approach, right, every, every process should add value, right? And, and from a business perspective is how is it helping the bottom line? And, and if you can't draw a correlation of how it's helping the bottom line or how it's helping the organization, you really have to question why it's there to begin mm-hmm. with, right? Um, so lean is just this approach of, hey, I'm just kind of looking at this thing holistically and be like, hey, where are we just using time, money, and energy wastefully? And, and can we stop doing that? Or where are we not using it efficiently, and can we make it better, right? And, and it, it might be something as simple as looking at your shop floor and rearranging equipment so that the flow of material is mm-hmm. smoother, right? Or so my people aren't having to walk as far, right? You, you think of, you know, hey, you know, if I got Doug on this, on this line and he has to take six steps between his two stations, if I can shorten that to three steps, right, people are like, well, what? Big deal, three steps. Well, three steps in itself isn't a big deal, but three steps over the course of eight hours, mm-hmm. five days a week, 365 days a year, five years, that's a lot of movement. Right. How much more productive is Doug now if we take that chunk out and now instead of walking, he's doing mm-hmm. stuff, right? So it's huge. Like little things add up. Um, there, you know, there, there was a study, uh, Burger King did a study, uh, their drive-thrus, and, and I don't know the exact numbers. I'm, I'm going to broad brush this. But they were looking at the drive-through, and they would just looked at ketchup, for example, and and forgive me, it's either Burger King, or McDonald's, one of the two, and uh, but I'm pretty sure it's Burger King, in which they were looking at how much ketchup they were using. And when somebody would ask for ketchup, the kid in the drive-through would just grab a handful and throw it in. And then they started doing studies of well, how much ketchup do people really use? And and they found out it was like two packets is all they really need. Well, what's a handful? Four to six. Yeah, right. So they realized they were wasting a ton of ketchup. So the policy, they change the policy is, okay, when somebody requests ketchup, right, first of all, you just don't automatically throw ketchup in there because not everybody wants it. Mm-hmm. If you ask they want ketchup, two packets go in, mm-hmm. right? And they cut, I mean, think about how much waste they cut out. Oh, huge. How much money they save, right? So you think, okay, what's a packet of ketchup cost, a penny? Yeah, probably, if that, at the volume the Burger King mm-hmm. buys. But how many Burger Kings are out there? And if every person in a drive-thru suddenly is reduced by four ketchup packets, so you're talking maybe a nickel, everybody comes through. How many people go through those drive-thrus in a year? That's, it's upwards, it could be millions of dollars yeah. pretty quickly just on ketchup, mm-hmm. right? So, so that's the idea. Something that seems insignificant. Insignificant, right? But it's insignificant yeah. on the surface. But when you dig down, it's huge, right? It's like little things add up. You nickel and dime yourself to death, mm-hmm. right? And that's what Lean is really looking at. It's like, okay... You know, on the surface, these things don't seem like a big deal, right? right? But what are they adding up to? I equate that to, like, in the, in the safety world, we use PPE, personal protective equipment. And, you know, we want it to be available. We want it to be easily accessible. Just like, you know, I don't want to have to walk to the tool crib every time sure. I need a safe, you know, because that is taking time and energy, resource. Right. But I go into some places, you know, they make the PPE readily available as we want them to. It should be easily accessible, but you walk in and there's like hundreds of pairs of gloves all over the floor in these shops. Sure, and and we'll get the five S here in a second. Oh which, yeah, which we'll take I wrote care that, of that down, man. I, um, but you know the idea is like so companies that are what I call cash rich that, that have a lot of reserve, 
that can throw money at problems tend to cover these things up because they seem insignificant. I will throw more money at it. I'll just buy more gloves, just do this. Rather than look at, hey, what's the root cause and and can we get better at what we're doing? You can just throw more money at it. Um, The problem is when you get a lean economy and they're working with this cash reserve, now all the problems start to surface. Like as we've seen. Companies that were working on the skinny and being very lean can survive Mm -hmm. because they are very efficient. You know, so, you know, when, when you talk lean in terms of safety, it's, okay, how can we make these safety programs? How can we make these safety procedures easier to use? So there's this concept called just-in-time, right? Right product, right place, right time. Well, what it also means is stripping down a process to its bare bones, to as, as few moving parts as possible. And why is that important? Well, it's naturally more efficient, and it's naturally easier to do. And if it's more efficient and easier to do, there's less likelihood there'll be errors in executing, and there's more likelihood that it'll actually get done. So if we have safety programs and safety procedures are so overly complicated and such a pain in the ass to use, odds are the employees aren't going to do it because it's more. total inconvenience, and it's like, I got work to do. If we can create programs and procedures that are easy to use, easy to understand, and not going to inconvenience them to the point where they're not getting work done, the likelihood of them actually doing it will increase mm-hmm. and doing it well without forgetting things, and then we're working safely. Right. right? So, so it's, it's, you know, what I encourage safety professionals and safety leaders, I don't even want to call them safety professionals anymore because we talked about this, mm-hmm. safety leaders is to say, hey, look at your programs. And how hard is it for them to do? How hard is it for employees to access stuff? How much of an inconvenience are you being to their daily work day? And if you can reduce that, right, you're going to stand a greater likelihood of them actually doing it and accepting it and assimilating it into their work day. And, and that's the lean approach. Mm-hmm. It's like, how can I strip this down so it's easier to do more, having the same effectiveness and the same quality outcome right, and reduce the amount of, of error. So, you know, that's kind of that just-in-time approach. It's like, how complicated am I being? Like, it's easy for us to sit in a room like, I'm the safety guy, we're going to make these big elaborate programs, and it just turns into this mess, and people are like, that's a pain in the ass. Oh, yeah. Right, and they're not going to do it. No, that's exactly right. right. So, you know, the whole KISS approach, keeping simple to it, we have a, a banner in our jiu-jitsu room that says, simple is powerful. Right? Simple is powerful. The simplest technique is usually the most powerful. Mm-hmm. The one that's easiest to do, you can do it without thinking. You can, it's repeatable. It has high uh, proficiency mm-hmm. and a high percentage of being successful. Right? The same approach should be with your safety programs. That's Simple right. is powerful. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And, and, you know, I review safety programs periodically for companies, and they will send me these volumes. They're not procedures they are literally volumes yeah, of over, information overthought it at that point yeah and and the likelihood as you said the likelihood of someone following that is like oh. just incrementally low. i mean it's just not going to happen i promise you every foreman on the job site if you hand them a safety binder that's three inches thick they're going to look at it and just toss it like i don't have time for this exactly they're going to chuck it i'll get to it when i get to it goes it. behind the seat in their aside. truck yeah it's it's always the case man and i go through these programs and i just take out the way you know just Line out it's the fluff. extra. Most the of fluff. it's fluff. And it's not necessary. I mean, if you can't explain most of these things in four or five bullet points, yeah. it's probably way too much, isn't it? I mean, Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair statement. I mean, right? just, so I think that's a good, now, so, so is that what a Kaizen is? I mean, is that the analysis so, you're so, going through, or how no, do we no. do this? Uh, no, so, sorry. <laughs> so Kaizen is just this idea of always improving. Okay. Right? So, so Kaizen is like we've been talking about, this constant awareness so one thing about lean is, like, you can't go do lean. Like, I can't put a lean team together and say, go do lean. It doesn't work like that. Lean's more of a mindset across a company. Most companies that have lean teams really just go about educating other people in the company of, okay. hey, here's, here's some things to think about so you're not being wasteful. Mm-hmm. Like, if you see a better way to do it, you're encouraged to speak up and say, hey, boss, I think there's a, a better way we can do this, right? There's okay. a more efficient way we, you know, it's this idea of, if you know a way that makes your life easier, tell us so sure. we can incorporate that across the company. That's being lean, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who doesn't want to do less work, right? Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, employees naturally do this. 
right? They're on the job site. They naturally figure out ways to get things done by doing less, right? That's just the nature of the beast, right? How can I make my life easier? Mm -hmm. Well, that's being lean, right? But the problem is a lot of that goes undocumented, Mm -hmm. right? And they're not encouraged to speak up because they don't, you know, they don't want to lose their job or they want Johnny to lose his job because I figured out a way that I can do twice as much as everybody else and with half the effort. Right. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's creating an environment and an awareness of not being wasteful, of figuring out how to do things more efficiently and being more efficient and making those standard practices. Mm -hmm. You know, going back to, um, so Kaizen is just like this, I'm always improving. I'm always, my head's always on a swivel. I'm always looking for ways to get better. It doesn't mean making change, right? A lot of people think, Kaizen, we're going to make change. Not necessarily, right? We don't necessarily need to change anything. Kaizen is just an awareness of, I'm always looking for opportunities to improve or to get more efficient to being less wasteful, to reducing defects, you know, to that nature, okay. to being safer, mm-hmm. right? Okay. That, that's the kind of, mm-hmm. how can we be safer here? Is this the best we can do? Right. Right. Are there more things, not saying more things we do, or, or is, is this just the best way? And then, you know, you might get in a play and goes, no, man, this is this isn't the best way. If you do it like this, oh, perfect, right? That's a Kaizen event, right mm-hmm. there. Okay. So when you hear companies holding Kaizen events, a lot of times it gets confused with innovation. Okay. Right, because innovation is a sexy term, and collaboration, mm-hmm. and all these words that you need yeah. to use to be yeah. a, a progressive company. <laughs> right, right. right? Yeah. So a lot of times, companies will call Kaizen events. They're really just innovation events. Meaning, we'll take a day, we all get in a room, and you can work on whatever you want to work on throw any idea you have out on the table and it might be something worth a company looking at. I know some companies will take a Kaizen week where people get to work on whatever they want to work on their pet projects and then present it to leadership. Those are more innovation type of events. They're not necessarily Kaizen events. Kaizen is true. They could be right. Mm -hmm. They could be some idea that makes the company better. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but it's more a Kaizen events more of like, Hey, how can we, do you see any way we can improve? Do you have any ideas that you figured out that you think everybody else should be aware about, right? It's, it's more of that approach, right? It can be innovative. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. But it's kind of morphed okay. more into this, hey, it's an innovation event. And, and it can be, but not necessarily. Um, you know, going back to your comment about, hey, we just got a bin of gloves, find a pair. You know, one of the lean tools is 5S, mm-hmm. which stands for sort, straight, and shine, sustain, standardized, or standardized, sustain, however, whatever order you want to put it. Um, and... It's, it's basically just, if you think about it, it's just getting organized, right? Every spring cleaning, you clear out your closet, right? With the idea of I'm going to put things in a certain order so they're easier to find and they're going to go back and stuff I don't use, I'm going to throw out and yada, yada, yada. Okay, and then it's like, cool, right? So the closet is nice and organized. Everything's got its place where it needs to be. Now, the hard part is the sustainment piece. Mm-hmm. How long does the closet stay like that? Right, right. Right? Yeah. And then... You know, so it's all in a spirit of efficiency. I know where the shirts are. I know where the shirts go. If I'm looking for something, I know exactly where to find it. Tools, it's for just, example. And right. A lot of shops have tools, the tools on the wall. In fact, to the point where the tools outline. The shadow boards and all of those things. So I know things. exactly where yeah. it should go. And if at the end of the day I look at my board and I see one missing, I go, that wrench is somewhere. Hopefully mm-hmm. I didn't leave it in the engine of the car that <laughs> right. just left, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, it, so it's an accountability piece as well. And it's efficiency. Um, supermarkets are classic 5S. When you walk down the aisles, right, everything has its place. The the cans are fronted, labels out. You know, and if it's done properly, then along with, there's a concept called Kanban, which is really irrelevant to this conversation, but they know exactly what was taken. They know exactly how many have to go back, and they know exactly where everything is. It just makes restocking more efficient. It also makes finding products for the customer more efficient. Mm-hmm. So it's all about efficiency and and efficiency of restocking and taking and the whole process is smoother there's less waste movement time waiting everything yeah um so you know for safety it's just like you said it's like where are the safety materials are they easy to find does everybody know where they're at do they know where they go can they if they go looking for them can they find them really quick the safety equipment can they get their hands on it quickly Mm -hmm. is it readily available is there enough of it you know, all those things, like, it's not like there's a fire and everybody's running around and no one remembers where the fire extinguisher is, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. we moved it twice and didn't tell anybody, yeah. right? right? It's that approach, yeah. right? Where's the med kit? Where's the trauma kit? Okay, what's the, what's the process if we have a deep laceration and the person's bleeding out, right? Uh, can, can we find the checklist? 
are they strategically posted so that they're within three steps at any given mm-hmm. point? You know, that's the approach of how quickly can I get to things? Is it easy to find? Is it readily available? Does everybody know where it goes back? Not, I take the fire extinguisher, I use it, and then set it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the next time we need it, you go to where I think it is, and it's not there, and it's, oh, man, where did, where did we put it? Right. Right? That's the 5S approach. Everything has its place. Everything's readily available. Everybody knows where it's supposed to go. And, and in a lot of cases, that's huge, right? Because that's the difference. That could be between somebody bleeding out and somebody getting the attention they need because nobody knew where the med kit was. Right. Exactly. Right. Well, just any, and your, your reference to the tools and those things. The first, my first exposure to this was uh, as a compliance officer. When I, so this is in the mid-90s with OSHA. Um, I did an inspection in, at Tricon Industries, which is uh, down in Lincoln, and it is a Japanese company, and they manufacture seats and, and, uh, for automobiles. Mm-hmm. I think probably Japanese automobiles in all likelihood. But everything had a place. I mean, they literally had like the shadow boxes on the floor where the trash can went, where the, you know, the tool crib went, where mm-hmm. the forklift sat. I mean, and I'd not seen that before, and it was one of the most organized shops I'd ever seen. It was very orderly. Sure. It was very, it had a nice flow to it. It was obvious why. And I mean, but it was something I was unfamiliar with. And I was like, well, this is interesting. Right. And that's, that's where, you know, some of the concept of the Kanban will come in, which is, which is the visual queuing system. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's this idea that, you know, especially on an assembly line, right. If, if a box of 10 bolts shows up and I'm, my job is to put the nut on it, then when I pass it on, there should be 10 bolts with 10 nuts mm-hmm. that passes quality inspection. So, Everything is exact count. It, get, it gets passed on an exact count and passed quality inspection. So I know 10 bolts that have passed quality inspection show up. I put the nuts on. When I pass it on, that person knows 10 bolts with 10 nuts that pass quality inspection is being passed to them. They don't put 11 in. They don't put 9 in, right, because mm-hmm. that screws up the count. If there's 11, now someone's waiting because i got to do an extra one. If there's 9, now we're short 10, right? Um, is this a, like a Deming thing? Is this part of that uh, Deming? I mean, yeah, you can you can argue that everything falls I, under Deming, but I yeah. don't know, man. I mean, um, but I mean, you're building quality into right. the process but, rather but than it's at all, the yeah, end. Yeah, it's or all something. quality and efficiency, okay, and and quality all along the way mm-hmm. throughout. You know that you know um, TQM total quality management in all aspects of of the company with the idea that everything eventually reaches the customer. And customer ultimately determines quality. Mm-hmm. Sure. Customer doesn't like it. It doesn't matter how good it is. It could be the best in the industry. If the customer doesn't like it, it sucks. Mm-hmm. You have a quality mm-hmm. problem right. at the end of the day. Right. And everything eventually touches the customers with the idea that every process in the, in the whole company is linked in some point, right? And the most insignificant process can have effect on the customer in the end game. Mm-hmm. I use an example um, at UNO. And I said, how many of you guys picked uh, UNO College of Business based on this janitorial service. No hands go up. I said, okay. How many guys would say the janitorial service affects the quality of education? No hands go up. I go, okay. Now, let's say the janitorial crew goes on strike. Would anybody notice? No hands go up. I go, okay, that's fair. You would notice for about the first three or four days. But what happens after about two weeks of those bathrooms not getting cleaned? It's, oh, they'll start to smell. Okay. Is that enough for you not to come? No, no. Okay, now what happens if they don't get clean for about three or four weeks? You stop wanting to use the bathrooms, right? Now, four or five weeks, now the whole place starts to smell, mm-hmm. right? Now you stop wanting to come mm-hmm. to school, mm-hmm. right? And now what's your impression of the quality of education? And they're all like, oh, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. The janitorial service wasn't even a factor in you basing your decision to come to UNO based on the quality of education. But the second that process goes to hell and now it starts to affect the customer and the customer recognizes it, now you have a quality problem in education. Mm-hmm. When, what does janitorial, what does scrub and toilet have to do with quality of education? Nothing on the surface. But when you look at it holistically in a larger business, it can drastically affect the impression of quality of education. Absolutely. Right? <clears throat> and no doubt, man. And this is exactly why we, <clears throat> when we talk about working safely, Rather than just having a safety program, it's kind of that same thing. I mean, sure. all through the process, we are implementing whatever our safe working procedures are, 
rather than just trying to tack it on at the end or right. as an add-on of some sort. It's the same mindset. And, and it's also the, the, the concept of don't write something off as being insignificant because on the surface it may be, but in the long run, what could it be affecting, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and you've seen it. You've seen accidents happen, right? It starts with, uh, I forgot to put my hat on. What's the big deal? Like one time, not a big mm-hmm. deal. Then it becomes two times. Then it becomes, I didn't tether off. I'm only one, I'm only six feet up. What's the big deal, right? Insignificant. Well, what does that lead to? Now they're not tethering off 10 feet up. Now they're not tethering off 15 feet up. Now you got a guy falling out from two stories up, right? But it all started, I'm only three feet up on a ladder. I don't need to tether off, right? So, you know, one insignificant, something you didn't think was a big deal, how does that affect safety? Well, over time, it can, okay? And because the problem can exasperate or that problem now affects something else, which can cause a catastrophic problem, when you find root cause, you go, oh, because the toilet didn't get cleaned. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We're losing students. Why are we losing students? <clears throat> the toilet didn't get cleaned. No one would have wow. made that correlation on the surface mm-hmm. until you dig down and you go, oh, yeah, this little process over here, this little thing over here, cause the guy to fall from three stories up right that's exactly wow that is huge man because in the safety world we you know people regard some of these things that we ask them to do as insignificant you know little details like we're being picky or something unnecessarily but as you said those little details those little insignificant things can add up in from the the standpoint of attitude or our, our approach and all of a sudden, they become commonplace. And then all, we're asking ourselves, why are we having all these recordable injuries, these lost time injuries? And it can go back to that very, that very sure. that initial. And I think part of the problem is, is when, when we had an accident, it's, see that term right there, an accident. It, it gives the impression that it's a one-off, mm-hmm. isolated mm-hmm. incident. Mm-hmm. So then you treat it as such. And never bother to ask the question, is this systemic? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was an accident. It's a one-off. We addressed it. It's done. Well, no, it's not done. Like, what What led to this? What exactly. caused this? What else is going on? Because if you give them, it's a one-off, you give the impression it's never going to happen again. Right. Right, this was an isolated incident, and, and, but generally there's other things behind it. Yeah, very few now, of those things happen in a vacuum. Right, right. so... You know, you might have a guy get backed into by a truck. And you might have another guy fall. What seem like two unrelated incidents may be very related because there's other things that have a common core to them that are causing these problems mm-hmm. that happen. But if you treat them as accidents, it's a one-off. Well, this guy got hit by a car. This guy fell. Two different things. Well, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe there's other things that have caused those to happen, and now you're going to have other things happen. Wow. And they're all related to begin with, right? So it, it's it's how you like nothing is isolated or nothing is a one off. Mm-hmm. Like what happened, right? It might be an attitude, it might be a company attitude. Say we got we have a we have a culture problem here. That's why this happened. Not just the guy slipped on an icy day. Mm-hmm. That's you know? it, man. And and as you said, there's a likelihood that there's some systemic issue that kind of permeates all these things. Because when we you know in the safety world, we keep these things we refer to as OSHA logs. There are injury and illness logs, and we are supposed to use that as a tool. We go back and we look at them, and we look for, and, and we use this term oftentimes incorrectly, trends, you know. I mean, we do trend analysis with five incidents or whatever, uh-huh. and they, show, they seem to show no commonality. Like you said, there's a laceration, there's a fall, there's a slip on the ice. Nothing I can really focus on and work on, but as you said, there is probably some systemic underlying attitudinal or or, or managerial leadership sure. issue that is common. Right. And, and, and thing, we're quick to dismiss it. The thing to be careful of, too, is like a lot of companies over time, like, hey, do you guys have a safety problem? No, not really. And then over time, you're like, you've had 97 individual incidents over the last X number of years. But because they treated them as one-off or isolated incidents, they never looked at the totality of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To realize, no, we have we have a problem here. Yeah, that's right? a huge concept, man. That is you know, really there, true. there actually is an underlying <laughs> underlying problem mm-hmm. going on. Yes, and but we looked at them individually and just treated them as one offs and right. never looked at any correlation or any relationship between all right. of it. At the end of the day, and we are looking for 
you know, when we are looking for commonalities, oftentimes on the surface, it's not the same type of incident. It, sure. Maybe it didn't happen in the same department. Maybe it didn't happen. We're looking at what time of day did it happen? Two different we, people. We look at those things and try right. to come up with, you know, these correlations. And but, a lot of times try to explain it away. Yeah, and then explain it away as a one-off, as you described. And But really, it probably boils down to, I mean, it's almost always some failure in our systems. Sure. So, so one thing about, to tie us all together, the, the lean approach, the lean concept is, is looking for those things, what lies beneath, what's tying all this together, like what's the root cause, mm-hmm. and, then, and then can we attack that, right? And, and can we converge all resources to attack that and fix that mm-hmm. so that now we're preventing what seems like an unrelated plethora of issues, like, can we solve them all? I'm not saying you can solve them all, but can we greatly reduce the likelihood of them by fixing this thing down here mm-hmm. in the weeds that we weren't looking at, right? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the lean approach. Like, okay, let's strip away and let's, let's start to look for, let's get to the heart of the problem. Okay. So how would you recommend then companies approaching this process? As you, as you said, a lot of these lean concepts are, Probably exist out in the in the workplace. A lot of pl- times, people how do you don't do this? people are doing them. They just don't realize they are. The easiest way, right, is is to sit down and just do a comprehensive review of your safety program, and then ask yourself: Is this overly complicated? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And one way to do that is to to take one of your programs and just survey, and one, how aware are they of it? Can they explain it? Do they understand it? Do your employees, are they aware of it? Can they explain it? Do they understand it? Mm-hmm. And if you find out that everybody has a different impression of it or mm-hmm. they're confused or they didn't even know it existed, you have a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? You have a big-time problem. Yeah. Um, if you talk to the foreman, it's like, hey, uh, can you talk to the safety program? They're like, oh, that, that big manual? Yeah, I got halfway through it. Okay, mm-hmm. you have a problem, right? It's right. overly complicated. It's burdensome. Um, it's not easily executable. There's too much in there. You know, I was, you know, it's this concept of dumb it down, right? Build it for the lowest common denominator, right? I always say build it so monkeys can do it, Mm -hmm. right? Because you need to build this so that everybody can understand it and everybody can do it readily every day Mm -hmm. and it becomes a part of their work culture. Um, You know, if you got volumes and volumes and volumes of stuff, you're probably missing the mark. Mm -hmm. I would agree. At the end of the day. Mm -hmm. It's just like exercise, right? You know, there's elaborate exercise programs out there that I'm a professional in the industry, and I'll read them. I go, I don't know what the hell they're trying to do here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's like, okay, what I really need to do, coach, squat one day, deadlift one day, do a complex movement the other day. That's all you really need. Let's dumb it down and keep it mm-hmm. as simple as possible. If you're doing those things, you're going to get healthier. You're going to get stronger. You're, you're going to be better. You're going to have better mobility. Right. But some trainers will create these over-elaborate programs, and people are trying to follow it, and it, just, and it gets discouraging. And after a while, they'll do it for two weeks, and then they just stop doing it because mm-hmm. it's like, man, what a pain in the butt. I agree. When if you just strip it down and make it easy, the likelihood of the client of continuing to do it, sustaining it over a longer period of time, is going to be much more successful. It's just like nutrition and everything else. Yeah. You really want How many diets are out there? You look stuff. at it, you're like, Jesus Christ, like, mm-hmm. what? this looks like it's a pain in the ass. And it is. On Tuesday at 3, I right. need to eat this. So it's like when, when I have people come and I consult them on nutrition, I'm like, okay, what should I do first? Like, okay, easy. Here's the first thing we're going to do. Drink water every day. Mm-hmm. Well, what else should I do? Nothing. <laughs> Let's just start with that. Let's just start with that. Yeah. Right? And we're, right? we're going to keep it as simple and as possible. And build that habit. And build that habit, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'm never going to give you a diet to follow. What do you mean? Because I know you won't. Right. <laughs> right? Even those of us that right? are disciplined in this don't You throw a safety manual on. that's four inches thick at your all your form, and they're going to be like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Not a chance. Yeah. Like, not a chance. It's so true, man. You throw them... Um, Three pages of bullet points. Okay, that's palatable. I got a chance. I can digest that. Yeah, we can do this. I agree. Right? <laughs> I agree. We have, and I, I think part of the problem is, and I'm going to blame my dear friends at OSHA, uh, and I don't mean this in a loving way. <laughs> in a loving way, and they know I love them. Some but tough love. It is tough love because we have become, as most businesses have become, so fixated on compliance 
with the regulations that they lose sight of just how are we going to make our processes, you know, how, how can we work most safely? You know, we have to produce this product. We have to deliver this service. We want it to be of a high quality, you know, meet the, meet the customer's needs or demands, but we want to do it as safely as possible. And so when all you're doing is just fixating on compliance, okay, make sure somebody signed that little tag on the fire extinguisher every month. Make sure that we tested that eyewash for 10 minutes every right. week. You lose you lose the forest for the trees, man. You know, you lose you're so, the intent behind you, it all. And you lose you're the just intent. going through the motions. I think that I think that is really a detriment to a lot of people's programs. They're they're just they're not looking at how can we do this more safely. How can we improve? Um, but they're just fixated on that compliance piece. Sure. And, and hey, look, I don't want to cut my own throat. I do that for a lot of people. I help them identify those compliance deficiencies. Sure, but that's I not th- the. You know, to your point, I think a lot of times the answer is, how do I get them to do it more? And the answer is, okay, uh, we're going to have a quarterly meeting now. We're going to have a monthly meeting now. And we're just going to keep beating about the head and shoulders with this idea. And no one ever stops to think, like, maybe this is just too hard to do. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe I've set them up for failure. And, and right. if we create these safety measures, it's just like all the talk in the world is not going to get them to do it because it's just hard to do. Right. Hey, let's dumb this down. Let's make it easier for them to do and increase our likelihood they'll actually mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. Right? Let's make the process as simple as possible. It, it's mm-hmm. like anything mechanical. The fewer moving parts there are, the less chance it'll break. Yeah, no doubt. And it'll run longer. No doubt. Same approach should be that a safety program, right? And the safety approach to the the fewer moving parts as possible, the less, the more likelihood you'll get it to a point where everybody's going to execute it and do it regularly yeah. over a long period of time. Yeah, I would agree. It is interesting, man, but it, it, it can be overwhelming, and I think we do overwhelm our people sometimes. And, and I think I, we, over, we overthink it. We want to get too cute with it because, you know, especially as you become senior leaders, if I'm not making it new and fancy or making some kind of change and I'm not doing something, you know, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of times the, the change that needs to happen is to get rid of stuff. Mm-hmm. to do less, to be more successful, mm-hmm. right? To do more. It's like the change for the sake of change is where I think people get away right. from the intent of what you should be doing. Yes. I got to change something to show that I made an impact on a company. Mm-hmm. Leave my mark on this. Leave or... my mark on this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, man, like the last thing we needed was another shovel of crap on the pile. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's going to get ignored. That is true, though. You know? And I think, I think uh, safety people or people that are involved in the safety program oftentimes feel that way. They need to put their mark on it somehow, or they need to change it so it looks like they're doing something. When they really just need to be out on the floor interacting with the employees, watching them, speaking with them, learning from them. But we're sitting at a desk banging out these you know, thirty-five page programs. Throwing more procedures on them. Exactly. A a simple conversation on the floor, everybody would go, wow, this is a this is a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize mm-hmm. how much of a pain in the butt was. You said it. You said it. We set our employees up for failure and then blame them when they can't <laughs> right. follow these rules that we've established for them. And that I think that is a common problem. Why won't my employees do this? I've told them and told them. And, and man, sometimes we need to you know look inward at what, what have we expected of them. Is right. that even possible? That's a great point, man. We do that a lot, so. Unfortunately, you know, yeah. and I think that's all aspects, you know, it's kind of like, what am I asking my people to do? Yeah. Like, is it reasonable? And and yeah. you got to remember, it, it seems reasonable from my perspective. It's like the classic, I'm the engineer, I built this thing without the user in mind, and the user's going, this is stupid. And the engineer's like, oh, it's obvious, just mm-hmm. do it like this. And the user's going, that's not obvious at all. Mm-hmm. Why would you put the button over here when most people are right-handed? You know, it's, yeah, to the absolutely. engineer, it's like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, you have to, when you build safety programs, you got to build them with the user in mind. Absolutely. you got people that are working hard day in and day out. They have a job to do. Now you're asking them to do this thing in addition to it. All right, how mm-hmm. easy did I make that for them to mm-hmm. do? That's so true, man. That is so true. When you add stuff... Sure. We have to make it as easy as possible. It's like documentation. One of the real challenges in what we do from a safety standpoint is the, the, the volume of documentation. You know, documentation of training, documentation of inspections, documentation of everything. People don't want to do more documentation. They can't handle more 
And so finding ways to make that easier, I think, is, is, is a big challenge. That has become overwhelming. Absolutely. I just had an experience like everybody has a DMV story, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. and, you know, I, I go over there and I go to uh, register my new my truck that I bought. And the line is literally out the door into the parking lot. I was like, oh, my God. And I finally get up there and there's of the 12 stations, four are open. And I just lost my mind. <laughs> right. I, I, I emailed the... Uh, John Ewing? The treasurer on the spot. I emailed them on the spot. I'm like, you are out of your mind on the busy. You know Fridays are busy. And why would you? Yeah, I just went off. Right. And and I'm thinking to myself, why why is this so hard? You know, why is it that they just can't, when you buy a car, right? Mm -hmm. The second you buy it, that dealership sends in the VIN, the sale price, and the tax owed, and then you can go online and pay it. Mm -hmm. Why do I have to take all that crap? Take a day, go to this place, deal with a teller. Well, like, why? Why isn't that just automatic? I don't. Yeah. Like, why don't the? Why aren't the dealers required by law to just submit the VIN to the state with the sale price, and then they can just you can go online or they or the state just sends you an email saying you owe this much. When you pay it, your plates will show up. Mm-hmm. I think you just did a lien thing, right? Jesus. I mean, that was just a process. Right? I mean, that's it, right? That's it's like, why is that so hard, right? Yeah. To me. <laughs> But a lot of times it's like you get the approach, well, we've always done it like this. Of course. Yeah. But that doesn't, that doesn't make it right. Maybe at one time that was the way to do it. Yeah. Like I get it. There was a time when we didn't have the technology that you had to buy your vehicle, then you had to take your pink slip to the state and say, hey, I bought this and get your plates and yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But I would even take it a step further and be like, you buy a, a vehicle at a dealer, they submit your VIN and the sale price, they hand you license plates, mm-hmm. and they go, and this license plate was issued, and now absolutely, the state sends plate. you a bill, and you pay it, and we're done. It's registered. Yeah, I do, <laughs> like absolutely. It's, it's like I, I know, man. It, it doesn't it seem like it crazy, should be that right? hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, I, but I think that the lesson there is, to your point, it shouldn't be this hard, right? right? Your safety program shouldn't be this hard. right. Exactly. It shouldn't be an inconvenience. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's, if there's a lesson to take away today, it's like, is the safety program viewed as an inconvenience throughout the company? Mm-hmm. And if it is, you need to lean it out and you need to make it easier to do and strip it down, right? So that it doesn't interfere. I, I, don't get me wrong. There's, there's some times where you have to stop and do your safety day or stop. And, mm-hmm. Or if something happens, you have a down day to review what happened. Don't, those, those are very, very important things to do. But we're talking on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. right? Agreed. Is this an inconvenience? Is this overly hard to do, right? Is this getting in the way of work to a point, right? Mm-hmm. And exactly. if it is, they're probably not going to do it. I would agree. I think that is a great take-home message. And I think we can all go take, you know, take a, a critical, serious look at what we're asking of our employees and, and are we setting them up for failure? Is this not going to work? Is it not possible? That it's going to work, but I think that's a great exercise between now and next Friday. Everybody needs to accomplish go. that. I've got one off-subject, off-topic subject for you, man. Uh, before not we that wrap we've gone off-topic. No, no, repeatedly. we have. No, no. <laughs> but I, I just, as as you know, I just got my tracking chip injected into my. Sh- I mean, my first vaccination dose injected into my. <laughs> hey, shoulder. you get a free donut, Krispy and that's what Kreme. I wanted to talk about for the year. I get a donut every day, every day for the rest of my life. Oh right? my god. What do you think about that as a I, health I and it, wellness it's, professional? It's don't get me started, man. <laughs> I want to. I, I will lose my mind, and we're going to have to bleep out every other word. No, it's okay, man. We, because it, Sasha it, can it, it's it. classic, the medical community and the dogma, right? And that let's not worry about lifestyle mm-hmm. and and get to the root cause and the heart of all our health issues. You got the vaccine. You took the drug. Here's the donut, <laughs> right? Never mind that a donut every day for the rest of the year is going to make you diabetic, which increases your chance of heart disease and obesity, which is going to kill you faster than any uh, not to coronavirus mention susceptible will. to corona. Truthfully, I mean, Jesus, right? Like we, oh, it, it is brilliant. And then, and then you got politicians encouraging us. Krispy Kreme is doing great things. They're encouraging the vaccine, and they're killing us all at the same time. I know. It's, <laughs> it's like. You know, and the Babylon Bee did a spoof of it saying, was showing a Marlboro saying, here's a free carton of cigarettes <laughs> right. if you got your vaccine. And, and but it's not that far from the truth. It is not at all. You know, truthfully. And, you know, we we just 
twist and distort truth. In fact, when it comes to diet, nutrition, and health, mm-hmm. and this idea that you know, you know, the whole body image thing, and you shouldn't fat shame. And don't get me wrong; I don't believe anybody should be shamed for any reason. But to sit there and say that someone who's hundred pounds overweight isn't healthy or is is unhealthy like is no they are unhealthy they're probably mm-hmm. going to die mm-hmm. much sooner than all of us yeah and to sit there and, and say that it's okay to look like that um is wrong it's doing that person a disservice to sit it there is. and say it's okay to go get your donut every day because you got your vaccine right is doing that person a gross disservice yes, it is. yeah right it's it's again setting them up for failure mm-hmm. gross failure in the long run and you know the fact that we're okay with this just just baffles me i agree man you know it's i, like, I just knew that would set you off geez, I just you know and I'm, I'm like oh and you know and a lot of it is you know you and i both know like we've been in this long enough that the studies that were done in the 50s 60s 70s were bought and paid for mm-hmm. to, to sell more crap oh yeah you know and now the truth is finally starting to come out the problem is is that the truth is being ignored because dogma is so strong mm-hmm. and and the medical community just isn't willing to shift gears because then the medical community have to admit that they were wrong for the last 15 right. to 60 years, and they'll never do that. It's never, yeah, it's a hard that's, thing That's, for them that's to a do. hard pill to swallow mm-hmm. uh, for them to sit there and say, hey, actually, we can cure 90% of our problems with a change in diet. Yes. Right? Because the drug companies don't want them to say oh, that. Oh, God, no. Right? Follow so the money. So take the drugs, right? Take the drugs. Yeah. And it's easier to diagnose just by saying take the drugs. Right. Eat your donut, take rather, the drugs, yeah, and shut up. Yeah, eat your donut, take the drugs. It's like, <laughs> wait, what? Right. Exactly. Eat your donut, take your insulin, you'll be fine. Exactly. It's like, wait, what? Rather than getting people to, to make a real change, right. right? To make a real change. And, you know, honestly, to tie this all together, it, it's like, you know, you have a problem on the job site, well, just put the hard hat on, you know, take your mm-hmm. pill and everything will be fine. And it's not, there's, there's, there's a bigger problem going on yeah. here, right? You know, and it's like getting people to, if, now some doctors are starting to come around and some doctors are really starting to understand that, hey, okay, most of our problems are actually metabolic in nature. And then if you change your diet, most of those problems are going to go away. You have fatty liver disease. Hey, if you cut sugar out, they'll literally disappear in two weeks, mm-hmm. you know, but rather they just rather give you a pill and then move right. on to the next patient, right? Because right. now they sold something, they got to kick back, whatever, yeah. I assume. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, follow the money, man. You know, I, I follow the money. Agree. It's easy to figure out. So, you know, but I think that permeates mm-hmm. a lot of industries, mm-hmm. that that approach. And um, it's unfortunate because, you know, a lot of people could be healthier with some simple changes mm-hmm. and less drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, simplify things just like the safety stuff man just keep it simple don't overwhelm people with fluff and unnecessary i I have a doctor in the gym uh he's actually an md and phd Mm -hmm. which is rare Mm -hmm. he's a double banger and uh i asked him i was like hey his name is lee i'm like lee how many problems medical problems are self-induced he goes 95 percent at least mm-hmm. 95% are self-induced problems, yeah. meaning people eat like crap. You're making a choice. And don't leave a healthy lifestyle. Right. It's totally choice-driven. Yeah. I'm just like, is, that's amazing. He goes, he goes it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. But I've heard that same similar statistics quoted, you know. I mean, I don't know how many, 85, 90% of our health care dollars go toward metabolic disease oh, issues, yeah. you know, that – that are under, to some degree, I don't, I don't want to minimize the challenges of sure. addictions and things, having had many addictions myself, but they are somewhat within our control. These are not things that are just acts of God or right. beyond us. So that, well, that is you a, know, the, the study I just sent you, uh, a lot of times the, the numbers are only looked at superficially mm-hmm. and not really understood. Mm-hmm. And one of the most recent studies, long t- long-term study, uh, showed that the greatest marker to heart disease is actually diabetes mm-hmm. and not HDL, LDL, which is the lowest, one of the oh, lowest to the yeah. point where it's almost insignificant yes, statistically to where insignificant. diabetes was more of a marker by a, a thousand fold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which we know diabetes type two, especially is completely self-induced. It's completely mm-hmm. diet driven. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. Yeah, man. But <laughs> right? we're all fixated on that, uh, HDL, LDL, which is next to no statin correlation. Drugs, yeah. I mean, but, Statins are a big industry. Oh, it's huge. Anti-cholesterol meds are a huge industry. Anti-blood yeah. pressure meds are a huge industry. Yeah. So I what know. What are they going to focus on, I unfortunately? 
true. It is true. All right, man, that's a whole other subject. We're going to have to get on that one again. But <laughs> we are wrapping up. I think our hour is up. Uh, Sasha's given me the, holy shit, how long can you guys talk look? And I'm thoroughly bored. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I've got things to do, for God's sakes. Okay. Hey, guys, uh, thanks again for listening. I want to thank John Falowich and Falowich Construction Services for joining the team. Thank you, John. Thanks to Cheyenne Wolford at CCS Group and Jim Cover at the Nebraska Department of Labor Onsite Consultation Group. Um, your support is greatly appreciated, fellas. And so keep up the good work out there, guys. Um, keep fighting the good fight, and we will talk to you again next week. Later. A Huda Media Production.